I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're still in the series, The Church, God's Plan for God's People. I want to look at a very specific aspect of his plan, and that is his plan for us to mature spiritually. To mature spiritually. Some years ago, National Geographic did a story on a 30-year-old man who lived his life as an adult baby. He wore diapers. He, he had his roommate spoon-feed him. And he actually built furniture. And he built himself an adult-size baby high chair. And uh, he, would, he would build adult-sized baby furniture, which I don't think there's a huge market for that, but nevertheless, that's what he did. And somewhere along the line, this man, now there was nothing wrong with him physically, nothing wrong with him mentally, um, but somewhere along the line, he decided he didn't want to grow up. And that is kind of a, um, an extreme reminder to us that growing up and maturing is a part of life. It's a part of a healthy life. I used to tell my kids, you know, don't grow up. Don't grow up. But I didn't really mean that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I wouldn't want my, you know, 23-year-old son to be, you know, still like a kid. You want your kids to grow up and mature. It's a part of life. And what is true of us physically is also true of us spiritually. Just as true. So Paul said to the Corinthian church, he says, I wish I could talk to you like spiritual adults. But I have to talk to you like infants, like babes in Christ. So in a sense, the Corinthian church was walking around in diapers. Everybody was in diapers. For all their pride and all their division and all their emphasis on the sensational gifts, the Corinthian church was not an atmosphere where believers matured. They were still infants in Christ. So as we come to Ephesians 4, it lays out God's plan for the church to help believers grow in spiritual maturity. Let's begin by reading verses 11, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Speaking of Jesus, the ascended Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to mature manhood. Or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ when Jesus ascended to heaven he gave gifts to the church to his people and included in that is what some people call the fivefold ministry the apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher and these ministries these offices were given as grace gifts to the church in order for them to help equip the saints for works of ministry. A lot of times we tend to think, you know, the pastor does the ministry, the evangelist does the ministry, but actually the scripture says they equip the body, the members of the body, 
for works of ministry. And that word ministry, uh, it just means service, service that builds up the body of Christ. And what he says, until, here's the objective, here's what we're shooting for, here's what we're after, until we reach the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of Christ, which leads to maturity, and that is the fullness of Christ, a church that is in the image or the likeness of Christ, a Christ-like church. I want to unthread a few things before we get to the, to the main crux of it. Unity is a vital part of maturity, but that unity is built on Jesus Christ. Our unity is built as a church, as believers, on Jesus Christ. There can be no spiritual unity apart from Jesus Christ. If someone does not believe in Jesus Christ, we can love them, we can pray for them, we can be their friend. We cannot have spiritual unity with them. Anyone who believes that there's other ways to God, other ways to heaven apart from Christ, we cannot have spiritual unity with them because the Christian faith is built soundly on the tenet that Christ is and his blood, which we sang about, is the only way to forgiveness, the only way to be justified, the only way to come into relationship with God the Father. No other way. That is an orthodox tenet of Christian faith. So we can't have unity apart from the belief and faith in Jesus Christ as the only name given by which we can be saved. But I also want to underline that unity does not mean uniformity. In, this, in the peripheral doctrinal issues. You know, there are issues that Christians have been debating for 2,000 years. Did you know that? And they debate, good Christians debate over differences in what I'm going to call peripheral doctrines. They're not peripheral, they're not unimportant, but they're not the gospel. They're not what save us, okay? So, for instance, one can be uh, a cessationist, that's someone who believes that the spiritual gifts, particularly the sensational gifts, the prophecy and speaking in tongues and all that, it, it, it died or ended, might be a better word, when the canon was closed. And so that's a cessationist. Another might be a charismatic. They're, they're the ones who believe it's all for today. It's all happening today. The Spirit of God is still moving in the same ways. Those are two important distinctions, two important doctrinal distinctions to know where we stand. One might be an Arminian, and one might be a Calvinist. And so the, how they approach God's sovereignty and man's responsibility might look different. What they believe the work of salvation and our part in it and God's part in it will be different. One might be an egalitarian, one might be a complementarian. Okay, I know I'm using big words, <clears throat> but, and you're probably not debating with people over these, but there are people who debate over these issues. And, and here's what, my point is simply this. These are important doctrinal differences. We should know what we believe about these things. I know what I believe about these things, but these are not divisive doctrinal differences. We can differ, we can have friendly debates, but we shouldn't divide over them. We might attend a church, we probably want to attend a church that more closely aligns with our understanding of these issues, or some of them anyway, 
But we should not divide. We should be able to have sweet fellowship, loving fellowship with believers who believe differently on these issues. One worships with a hymn. One worships with, with uh, you know, uh, overheads in, in contemporary songs. You can know what you like and prefer and everything, but don't divide over it. That's what Paul is saying. There's a unity of the faith. But he doesn't mean uniformity throughout he talks about the differences and the, and the variations in the body of Christ. So all this is to say a mature Christian should not be a divisive Christian. A mature Christian shouldn't be a divisive Christian. A mature believer shouldn't seek to stir up controversy, drama, create wedges between believers. Just the opposite. A mature believer works to promote unity as much as possible, but again under the framework of the big orthodox tenets of our faith. And so the church is to be a place of equipping and ministry and building up in Christ so that unity and knowledge of Christ leads to maturity and helps us to grow out of immaturity. And that brings us to verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to focus mostly on verse 14 and 15 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Young children are gullible. It's a precious part of what children are. They are gullible. They lack the tools to discern what is real and what's not real when they're very young. And that's why they need their parents and they need family and they need people who love them to protect them from deception and help them to grow in discernment and knowledge of the truth. Verse 14 warns us that immature Christians will be like children. They will be easily swayed by this trend, this teaching, this new fad. They're going to sway over here. They're going to sway over there. There's going to be a wind blowing here. There's going to be a wave blowing, uh, crashing over there. And they're going to be carried by this and carried by that and blown around by what, did you hear the new thing? You know, I think I just heard something. I think it's true. And, and now I'm believing this. And now I'm believing that. And believe me, I've been a Christian long enough to see a lot of wind and a lot of waves come through the church and people believe this and people believe that and if you live long enough you begin to see the fruit of these teachings you see when a wave comes in and you're surfing it it's like this is fun until all of a sudden it crashes you under and 10 years later you see the result of that wave that was not biblical or you are sailing the wind and you're loving where it's taking you until all of a sudden you find out your life is devastated I've lived long enough to watch the the unpacking of what people believe and ultimately this is another sermon but ultimately wisdom is to be able to see where a wind is taking you before you get there 
Okay, so it's not like, hey, that looks like a good idea. And then five years later, it's like, that was a horrible idea. My life is destroyed. It's better to see it before you take the wind that far. Anyway, so Paul describes this thing of wind and waves of doctrine carrying people, yeah, children in the faith, immature in the faith. And, and one other thing that needs to be pointed out here, these winds and waves, they don't just happen. They are the, they are the product of people who have cunning, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. These are coming from people who look good, but are bad. They are purposely deceiving, or sometimes they're deceived themselves. But they are bad people who are good communicators. See, if you just follow somebody who's a good communicator you're going to probably get into some wind and waves you don't want to get into. Paul warns, maturity helps us to discern and not ride and be blown around by waves. I want to, especially today, I want to encourage us and even warn us, don't underestimate the power of what you think. Don't underestimate the power of what you allow yourself to believe. The power of what we think and believe over our lives is immense. It's probably more powerful than anything else. Nothing has destroyed more lives than ideas, than false beliefs and bad thinking. Karl Marx came out with an ideology, a belief system. I think if you sat down and read it, you might think, well, this kind of makes some sense. To me. Well, actually, millions and millions of people have sat down and said, this kind of makes some sense to me. But the outworking of that communism has created more misery, more oppression, and more death than any single other factor, I think, in human history. An idea. Mao Zedong in China, his great leap forward that alone, that movement alone, killed more than 45 million people. It's the greatest single mass murder in history. Stalin, following communism, killed over 30 million. Some, some may say maybe as high as 60 million when you add up. I don't have time to unpack all the ways, because you said, well, no, it's just how they... No, it, it is the product of the thinking. Anyway, it's the power of a devilish belief. On a smaller, on a more localized scale, we see this going on in our, in our, around our world today and in so many ways. And, and by the way, it's a really tough time, I think, to be a young person today. It's a really tough time to be a young person. Last week, there were hearings held, congressional hearings held, on the overwhelming evidence of the negative and damaging effects that social media is having on our kids. Overwhelming evidence of that. And there were parents sitting behind Zuckerberg and other CEOs from some of these major companies with pictures of their children, some of whom have died because of the influence or because of the byproduct of negative social media. It's not that there's nothing good in social media, but its, its overwhelming effect right now is quite negative on young people. And you probably maybe saw uh, 
Mark Zuckerberg stood, turned around, very awkwardly apologized to parents who had lost their children to the influences of social media. I mean, one young boy wasn't feeling well. He ordered a pill, I think through Facebook or something, and it was laced with fentanyl. It killed him. It was one small dumb decision. It wasn't a wise decision, but, but in no way should it have been a fatal decision. The, the effect of what, I think that's probably okay. Young girls especially are being bullied and pressed on their appearance and other things in ways that, that just have lifelong effects on them. You know, forget that saying sticks and stones don't, may break my bones, but names can never hurt me. That's not true what we believe. So parents, we need to be extra careful about what our children let into their minds because ideas are so powerful for either good or for bad. Paul says we need to take every thought, in, for Corinthians, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because that's where the spiritual battle takes place. You know, you can throw out the cigarettes and the alcohol and all that stuff and, and, and think, okay, I'm, now it's a safe environment, but the more dangerous things are things that are going to come into their mind and affect them for a lifetime. So Paul says, instead of that, instead of being blown around by winds and waves, instead, he says, instead of that, we are to speak the truth in love to one another in order to help us grow in maturity. We are to speak the truth in love. Now, speak the truth in love. I, I, I love that saying, and it really sounds like sitting over a cup of coffee and being honest with a brother or sister in a loving tone. And that's a wonderful thing, and that's a part of it, and that needs to be happened. But we need to understand in context, Paul is not just sitting down and saying, listen, you know, uh, you got bad breath. You, you really should do something about that. You know, or some, some honest conversation that you're having a hard time getting to. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about speaking sound doctrine to one another in love, in context. Counter the winds and waves of false doctrine with sound doctrine that you're speaking to one another. So, one thing that says to us as a church is we must we should develop an appetite for sound doctrine we should develop an appetite for sound doctrine paul warns timothy that the days will come in chapter uh, 4 verse 3 the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine they will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Do you hear, the, you hear what's going on here? They will not put up with sound doctrine. They will not put up with truth. Instead, what will guide them is what they want to hear. They will have itching ears, and they will flock to those that scratch their ears. That's what they're going to be looking for. They're going to tailor the truth to be what they want it to be. Instead of wanting to hear the truth, they're going to want the truth to be what they want to hear. And those are two very, very different things. Truth will be bent to our desires. Instead of bending our desires to the truth. And so people will flock there will always be teachers who know how to itch ears. People will flock to those that say what they want to hear. 
The antidote here is to develop an appetite for healthy doctrine. Doctrine meaning teaching, meaning biblical. You know, we can train and retrain our appetite. We can. We can. Someone who consistently eats health food will have an appetite for healthy food. Someone who consistently eats junk food will develop a craving for junk food. That's just how our appetites conform to what we feed ourselves. And over time, that has a big effect. As the saying goes, you can't exercise yourself out of a bad diet. A diet has a tremendous effect on us healthy. Well, that's true spiritually as well. It has an accumulative effect. So I want to zoom back on, on the book of Ephesians and point out what you probably know. But Paul, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he purposely didn't start out with how to live the Christian life. He doesn't open up with, hey, here's, here's how you live the Christian life. He spends the first three chapters of Ephesians teaching what God has sovereignly done for us in Christ. Three chapters centered on God and what he has done, not on us or what we do. We don't get to how we're supposed to live until we get to chapter 4 through 6. We just started 4. He's starting to turn the corner now. Here's how you begin to grow. Here's what the Christian life looks like. But he has laid a very thick foundation of what God has done. And here's the thing, and I'm like this too, but sometimes my appetite, I want to skip over what God's done. I want to get right to what am I supposed to do? How do I live this thing out? What, what, you know, what are the uh, steps that I need, the keys that I need, the secrets that I need? We want to go right to that. How do I teach me seven principles? You know, teach me whatever to live the abundant life, the steps to a happier life, a happier wife, a, a less stress in my life. You know, how do I get to that point? How do I build a successful business? How do I win friends and influence people? How do I overcome the fears or insecurities or all that? And, and, and there's, listen, the Bible's full of those things, and those are important for us to learn. But if that's what our appetite is. We're not going to build ourselves up in the things that make us spiritually strong. We'll be children. We will be children. Because we are putting it all on our shoulders. We're making it all about us. And I want to tell you right now, before you run out to Barnes & Noble and buy as many self-help books as you can or listen to as many self-help podcasts as you can, they can be helpful, but they will not change your life. They will not set you free. That's why there are a billion of them and, and nobody's free. <laughs> Everybody's walking around and the people buying more. There's a new self-help book. Let me get it. It's a huge market. But they don't by themselves work. They can improve your life some, but they're not going to do the deep work that our souls long for. And so we don't want to turn the Bible into a self-help book either where we have our little self-help, you know, verses, but we never read like our just eyes. Listen, I, I, I know what I'm speaking of because I'm there too. Our eyes glaze over when it starts, we start to talk about big things about God because we want to hear about things about us. 
What am I supposed to do? I'm sitting here and I've got bills piling up. What does God have to do with that? Everything. I've got struggles in my marriage. I don't have time to think about God. Yes, you better make time to, because, you know, it's like everything in life flows from our understanding and what we think and what we believe about God. Because He is the source of life. So you get that wrong, you get everything else wrong. And that's why Paul builds this beautiful foundation on what God has done for us. Because we need God. More than anything else, we need God. And so, one way to think about it is we need the indicatives before we get to the imperatives. Now you might be thinking, what? Indicatives are what the Bible says God has done for us. Imperatives are what the Bible says we are to do. Speak the truth in love. What do you think that is? An indicative or an imperative? Somebody shout it out. Imperative. It's a command. Do this. It's a good command. It's an imperative. But if we focus just on the imperatives, what God tells us to do, without putting our roots deep into the indicatives, what is true because God has done it, we will be shallow in our faith. We will be weak in our faith. We'll probably also fall into legalism, stress and striving. It's never enough. Because all we hear, we think God always relates to us in imperatives. Do this, do that. Don't do that. Speak the truth in love is an imperative, but it's built on indicatives like, and I'm going to just share a few, like this indicative found in chapter 2. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy, let this soak in, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, our souls need to soak in the goodness of what God has done for us. Such as these verses. You can look these verses over. Our fingerprints are nowhere to be found in these verses. It's, there's no imperative in this. Do this, do that. It's all about what God has done for us. And it's fresh air to our souls. It's fresh air. It's not what we do for God. It's what God has done for us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't what we do for God. It's what God has done for us. So meditate on that. It's fresh air. Think about how you're justified in faith. By faith in Christ. Your guilt has been taken away. You've been made righteous. God did that. Think about how you have no more condemnation hanging over your head. Because you have been completely set free. And all your condemnation was poured on Christ. God did that. Rejoice that you've been adopted as a beloved son or a daughter of the Most High. 
God did that. Set your mind on how you have been raised. Right now you are seated with Christ in a spiritual way. With Christ in the heavenlies. One day that will be consummated. But your position in Christ seated in the heavenlies is secure right now, right now, right now. Right where you are. You are secure in Christ. Seated in the heavenlies. God did that. God did that. So enjoy it when a sermon, when a message is doctrine heavy. Even though it might take a little work to get through and we're not hearing about ourselves every minute. Enjoy it. Because it's like eating a steak rather than a hot dog. A little tougher to chew, but really good. Really good. The second thing I want to share is that we are a spiritually healthy church must learn to truth in love. We need the truth in love. This verse is translated in the English, speaking the truth in love. But in the Greek, the word speaking isn't there. It just actually says more literally, truthing in love. Truthing in love. Which indicates speaking, living, doing the truth in love. So truth needs to be combined with love. And love needs to be combined with truth. John Stott wrote, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. That is so true. When we grow in doctrinal knowledge without growing in the love of Christ, we distort doctrinal knowledge. We distort Christ. We may have the doctrines down, but if we're not growing in love, we're distorting who God is. But if we try to grow in the love of Christ without growing in our knowledge of sound doctrine, we are going to distort love. It won't be true love. Truth needs love. Love needs truth. So as we close, I want to give a couple challenges. I've been trying to come up with some challenges, some practical challenges. And, um, and in case you don't know, like behind the scenes, we want to work this into our church life in different ways that are not overwhelming, but to help us to grow in these areas together. Because that's, that's what we're here for. The church is meant to help us mature. All of us. So here's a couple of challenges or encouragements if you don't like the word challenge. Okay. Um, ha have a balanced diet of teaching. Don't just listen to things that are about your life. Don't just listen to things that are practical advice. Dig into theology. Learn about God. Soak in the indicatives of what God has done for you. Let your soul soak in them sometimes. It is freeing to get out of the constant drive of, I want to improve, I want to do this, I want to do that. And just think what God has done. Whoa. God loves me. Just soak in that. God loves me if I do this and if I do that. And maybe he doesn't love me because it's, oh, no, 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 no. You know, no. The gospel is he, because of his love and mercy, has done this. Soak in that. All right? I remember just a funny story back when we started getting more into theology. Um, Janice was looking for a way to, you know, deal with her insomnia. So she picked out a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. She said, this will put me to sleep. She began to read it and she began to enjoy it. It's all about who God is. His, the attributes of God. And uh, it didn't help her to fall asleep the way she hoped it would. Learn, develop a diet of teaching. Secondly, we want to recommit ourselves here at Grace. You know, I, I love teaching on a whole, whole plan. But part of my plan this year is eventually to start a series in the book of Romans. 
And I find that a little intimidating. Romans is a masterpiece of theology. It is not a book you're going to find in a self-help section at Barnes & Noble. But it is a masterpiece of theology. It covers ground. It covers deep subjects. And I'm a little frightened to even tackle it. I've never done Romans. But I want to do Romans because it's a diet that is like, here's steak, here's Brussels sprouts, here's some arugula. It's like there ain't an impossible burger in the mix. That's, by the way, over Burger King. Now, I'm not downing the impossible burger. <laughs> so, we want to recommit ourselves here to that. But learn to love doctrine. Don't be like, oh, this Sunday is going to be about, about God. Let me skip that Sunday. Or let me, you know, let me tune in to some other preacher, you know. Uh, we want to periodically offer different teaching venues through the year. We just had a, a leadership class a couple weeks ago. I, th I so enjoyed that class. I really did. Um, but I was teaching it, so that's not really fair, you know. I might just like to hear myself talk, you know. Uh, but we want to, and we hope to schedule more classes in the future, tackling different issues from a theological viewpoint. And some of them will be practical. We want to do practical, but even practical from a theological. We start with God and work from there. Finally, last thing I want to just recommend, examine what you're believing. Is it biblical? Examine your beliefs. I guarantee you the things you believe, the things we pick up as we're driving along, we're hearing this, we're hearing that, and we're believing, we should always be examining, is this biblically true? We don't want just every thought to come in because it'll carry us to places we don't want to be carried. I want to encourage you to pick up a book that will help you grow. And I want to just recommend a couple. And I'll, I'll try to put these out in some form where you can see them. But uh, a couple I recommend, Gentle and Lowly by Dale Ortland. Excellent book on the love of Christ. It'll help you. If you deal with legalism, that is a book that will help you. But meditate in it. Uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. That's about the attributes of God. His love, his anger, his, his uh, you know, immutability. All, all these kind of things we don't even think about. Who is God? Future Grace by John Piper. That had a tremendous effect on my... It is not easy reading, but it is, it is rich theology in a very accessible way. And The Jaker by Paul Miller is a great book about daily uh, deaths and resurrections as we follow Jesus. So just recommend, like guys, we want to, we want to get healthy. Amen? We want to get healthy. We live in a time where it's not a good time to be weak. There are truths flying, not truths, there are thoughts flying at us so fast and they can enter our lives from so many directions and so many ways they can influence us, they can influence our family. We live, I believe, in seriously dangerous days. But that doesn't make us afraid. It just makes us want to cling to Christ and good theology. Even churches can have bad theology enter in and have tremendous effects on the churches. So we want to do everything we can to hold on to and develop an appetite for sound doctrine. And part of that is by speaking and truthing the love to one another. Let's pray together. Father, we, we want to soak in the indicatives in what you have done for us. We sang songs about you being our firm foundation. 
about the blood of Christ. That we're fighting a battle you've already won. We thank you, Lord, that our God, who is rich in mercy and love, saved us. Done. Through Christ. All we do is put our faith in what Christ did. Lord, I pray if anyone does not know Christ or has never placed their faith in Christ, that you will stir their hearts, bend their hearts towards you to receive by faith all that you have done for them. To receive the love, the mercy, the grace that you love to give by believing in Jesus and asking him to be their savior. And Lord, for all of us who probably struggle at times, remind us of who you are. Remind us, God. Help us soak in who you are. Help us breathe in this polluted air of so much junk. Help us breathe the fresh air of who God is. And then help us to shine that to others. Lord, help us develop an appetite and help us as a church to steward this well. Lord, to disciple to grow as disciples, to mature. Father, we don't want to be a church full of diapers. We have our diaper section. We have people who are appropriately in diapers. But we don't want to be there as spiritual adults. Um, so help us to grow as a church. And Lord, we pray for you to, to do that work and help us in that work in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Bless this beautiful day, we pray. Let our hearts be filled with the joy of who Christ is in us, Lord, and the love of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a good day. I really pray. I just pray that you guys, I know I'm going to keep talking, you know. I just pray that you will soak in the goodness of God. Take some time outside. It's going to be a beautiful day. And think about God. Think about God. Think about who he is and call upon him. Talk to him. Amen? All right. Have a great day.